This podcast is brought to you by Third World. Yo, that's all. We're just three immigrants talking trash. Talking trash. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Three Immigrants Talking Trash. I moved to Los Angeles nine years ago on September. Yeah. For this episode, I would like to talk about the people that we used to be before moving to LA. But first, how was your week? Anything interesting happening? I had an interesting week. So that we were actually celebrating a, a festival right now that commemorates siblings. So I spent a lot of time with my brother, but enough time that we don't really have to see each other for another year now. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we saw each other enough for two days. So you are living with your family right now because you're back to South Africa. Like how has it been living with your mom again now that you're 30 and living with your dad again and living with your brother? Is there anything different? Oh uh, yeah, of course. It's very different because now that I am around them, the fact that I'm 30 and brown and single, and I'll repeat that again, I'm 30, I'm brown and I'm single. That fact is more apparent. It's in their face, you know? So the second day that I was in South Africa, when I moved back, my dad and my mom, they were just like, you know, well, we have some profiles for you some profiles of men that they want me to, you know, potentially get married to or start talking to in order to potentially get married to them. And honestly, like at that point, I was still processing what had just happened to me. I mean, my visa was just denied. I had to like leave the country. You know what I mean? My whole career had been like ripped away from me. And I was still processing all of that. But the fact is that like to them, it was just like, you just have to get married. That's the solution to all your problems is that you have to <laughs> quote unquote settle down. So here I was going through an identity crisis of note, but still looking at profiles of men, because what am I going to say no to them? I'm living in their house. Like, you know? <laughs> But tell us what you mean by profiles of men. So basically, my parents have enrolled me on a website called shadi.com, translation marriage.com. It's basically a matchmaking website, and it's just full of thousands of Indian men and women across the world. And our parents basically look for potential suitors for us. So my parents enrolled me on this website like years ago without even telling me. And every day for a couple of years, they were sending me profiles of guys and they were like, look at their package. And I was like, daddy, I'm not sure what the meaning of package is. Which package? <laughs> <laughs> so what he meant by package is that look at what he looks like, but also like what kind of job he has. Like, look at his profile in detail, but they call it package in our culture. Are they all Indian men? Oh, yeah, yeah. All of them are Indian men all over the United States. Just so many profiles of people across the world. I did sometimes look at those profiles that he'd send me. And I even went on a couple of dates, but nothing ever really worked out because I think I just believe in the idea of like old fashioned love and meeting someone just by chance and by faith. No, 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 no. So, Fuck that. It's amazing but, your yeah. dad is arranging things. <laughs> I know. It's like basically my dad had this website on an app too. So he would be the one oh swiping left and right on behalf of me. And I was like, this is just crazy. <laughs> but per your parents' timeline... When are you supposed to get married? My parents would have wanted me to be married at least by 30, which I am now. So, you know, th th there's just a lot of pressure, like an extraordinary amount of pressure, because not only am I, you know, 30, I'm also Indian. And in the Asian community, if you're not married by 30, like you might as well die. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. Sounds like baby boomer shit to me. I don't know. With love, it just if it happens, it happens. You know, you don't know. You can't plan those things. You know, at the beginning, I was like really judgmental about your dad trying to do this arranged marriage. But then I was reminded that 
the only reason that we met each other is because your dad found me. So I guess it does work. He has good taste. He finds good things. He does have good taste. And I also think that he's such a hustler. Like he will find anything. Like if he wanted to find God, he will find God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, before we get into the people that we used to be, let's talk about who we are. Are you guys used to answering these type of questions? Like, I don't know, for interviews or for like yeah, work? Yeah, people ask that. I'm always like, I'm an actress, but they're like, no, but who are you? And I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. One day I'm something, one day I'm something else. But I know one thing, which is that maybe a couple of years ago, like 10 years ago, I definitely feel like I was a lot more like self-absorbed. And like, I think now I'm a little bit more empathetic and I have stories that have like changed me, humbled me, shook the freaking lights out of me. What about you, Manal? Do you remember who you were before the pandemic, before meeting us? Yes, I remember who I was. I was more shy, more uptight. I was more sad. I was less expressive. I wasn't in a place that allowed me to be who who I am truly. So you know how they tell you like each one of us has this inner child? I feel like I used to suppress that inner child more than I do now ironically now that I'm older I'm more Mm. in tune with my inner child but that's because of therapy and that's because of leaving home and discovering other cultures and living with with other people of other mentalities and other backgrounds I think um, a word that I discovered through you asking these questions was sober I think I feel a lot more sober in my life I think that a lot of my years have been spent living very like delusionally you know in my la la land like so just like lost in my own world but I think that events in our life incidents events in our life really just sober us and humble us I definitely feel a lot more like and vulnerable raw. Yeah, how fucking scary, right? And I can relate to that so much. Mm. Before moving to Los Angeles, I was all over the place, anxious. I drank a lot and that even made my anxiety just worse. So not knowing where I was going, not knowing what I was doing, who I was, I still moved to a different place. And it was in this place where I started learning about structure and then kind of start structurizing my life back, you know? feel like I was all bent to the point I broke. And then I just started to like building myself up again. But that was like a little bit of the person who I was. I feel like who isn't all over the place in their teenagers and in their 20s? I used to think, you know, 25, I'm an adult. And when parents would be like, oh, you're still a baby, I'd get so triggered, you know? And now that's exactly (laughs) what I say. Like, you're still a baby. At 25, you're still a baby. And I know it depends on your life experience. I know some 25-year-olds have had to mature very quickly. And by the time they're 25, they have the mentality of a 35-year-old. But generally, generally... It was a shit show in my teenage (laughs) years and in my 20s. I was a fucking mess. I wasn't a mess in the sense of like um, I was messing up and stuff like that. No, I was walking a straight line. I was a good student. I was a good daughter, whatever. But inside and the process of making choices, where do I want to go to study? What do I want to be? What kind of life I want to lead? So chaotic and so anxiety driven and so like, oh, my God, if I don't make a decision now, it's going to cost me the rest of my life. Like how self-absorbed <laughs> we are when we are young. So self-absorbed, girls. And like, I don't even have kids to already understand how annoying it is to watch a teenager grow up and like oh hate you for no reason and be angry and have acne and they're not cute anymore. They have bigger noses and acne and shit, but you still gotta love them and you still gotta be I had a lot of acne when I was, like, that was part of my fucking anxiety. I had a lot of acne on my teens. Like cysts, you know, like huge. And like, I was just all over the fucking place. 
nice. It's tough, man. We're so fucking insecure. And then on top of that, we got to deal with, oh, we're going through an ugly phase. We what have- do you think made you realize that you were a narcissistic hoe and then change that? Interactions with other people. More uh-huh. interactions with people okay. who are not from my socioeconomic background. Okay. Meeting people with different sexual orientations, different religions, different mentalities, mm, 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 uh, biracial, you know, like mixed cultures. And seeing that it's all good. We're all good. For all the cultures are the best. All the religions are the best. You know, it's okay. A melting pot, baby. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. For me, I think it was just spending a lot of time like that I've had in the past seven months by myself. I don't have anything to do some days. Mm. The only thing I have to do is to like look back at all my interactions. Like you said, Manal, like interactions with different people from different walks of life. But how I was in those situations is something that I had to really forgive myself for. Like I had to spend a lot of time forgiving myself for many Mm. things, like many ways that I have reacted, which I think like now I would do it differently. That's something I wouldn't have known if I hadn't had a pause in my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I also relate a lot to having to forgive yourself. You know, I felt like my past self made so many mistakes that yeah. I punished myself so much for it instead of, okay, how do I find a solution? How do I let this bad energy go because it's consuming me, you know? Yes. How do I transform it? So I had to learn how to forgive myself. Not move on completely, but take responsibility and then, yeah. okay, what do we do now? We did this. We were that person. How do we change that yeah. now? Yeah. Because I cannot keep reliving this mistake and pain all over and over and what where is that taking me yeah you know? totally yeah and i think that in my case what helped me change it was the people around me yeah the people that i hurt that kind of like shook me by my shoulders and be like hey bitch you're hurting me <laughs> yeah. like change look what you're doing you are destroying this and i was like oh my god i need to like change yeah. i don't know how but i i don't want to lose this relationship so that's kind of like pushed me to take some steps yes exactly i feel exactly the same way that's so relatable So relatable. Yeah. it's like when you look at old pictures of yourself in old outfits <laughs> and you cringe <laughs> Those haircuts, yeah. When you think of your previous behaviors and your reactions, you know, to some interactions with people that you love, you cringe and you're like, fuck, why were you that bitch, you know? I know I'm not significantly older than the both of you, but I'm the oldest one in the group. And I just want to point out that the things that we regret when we look back involve, you know, like overreacting, Mm -hmm. saying something harsh to mom, you know, not like killing someone or we're we're good people. We've never gone out of our way to hurt (laughs) anyone. Right. And yet we're so hard on ourselves. And yet we have the need to forgive ourselves. You know, when I stepped out of my parents' home and I was forced to interact with people from different backgrounds and and have different expectations from you, considering you're not their (laughs) child. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That is what completely transformed me into finally an adult, realizing that no, Mm. this way of speaking is not okay. This way of judging people is not okay. Completely, completely. And then it improves your relationship with the people who lived with your uglier self. Yes. The people who loved you in your uglier phase Mm -hmm. love you more now because you recognize them, you see them, you care for them more. They see the change. They feel the change. uh, Each other grow up in the past couple of years. We've all lived together like at three different occasions and we've seen ourselves through each other's eyes and evolved with each other. We have changed, man. We have changed. And it has been a beautiful journey to observe us change and become the people that we are today you know yeah very very positive evolution guys good job (laughs) (laughs) but i really think that we had a huge part to play in each other's um, evolution growing 
we really held the mirror up to each other yeah. in yeah. a good way. Oh, when one of us will fuck up, one of us will come with a mirror and be like, hey, bitch, look at yourself. Yeah. Look what you did. Go fix it. <laughs> I used to be a little bit of a trash can man. I honestly, that's what I, I look at trash like something that can be transformed and can be good because I am the perfect example for it. Okay. <laughs> when I first moved to LA, my first night there, you took me to this bar called Abby and we were out the whole night and it was like one of my favorite nights in um in LA like literally I was just like standing there and there was like a, a strip dancer hanging off the ceiling and he grabbed me with his legs and pulled me up well, like I was like what like 45 kgs or something yeah it was just a phenomenal night like we had so much fun we came home at like five in the morning took like the 202 bus it was like you know one for the books now, 10 years later, I could pay her to go out with me and she wouldn't. And I would actually, I wouldn't even do that because we'd rather be at home watching like Netflix or something. You know how we've changed so much? Mm -hmm. We want to have pastries and tea. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, since we're talking about the past, I would like to talk about how did this year go for us so far? This year was very, very fucking interesting. It was fucking, fucking great. I was previously working full time for a network. And at the beginning of the month, like two weeks in January, I was laid off. But the story of that happening, I think is fucking hilarious. So I want to <laughs> share that with you guys. Please. So this is two weeks into January 2021. Yeah. Right? Obviously, I wasn't expecting this. And this is how much I was not expecting this. It happened on a Friday. For some reason, we just bought a huge TV. And for that day, we had the schedule, the installation of that TV. <laughs> so I was unaware you know, I'm like, okay, today I'm going to get my TV. Like, it's going to be amazing. I'm excited for work for some reason. I have a TV now. I'm more excited to work. And then, okay, Thursday night, I'm sleeping, dreaming, thinking about the future. Boom. I wake up super early. It's like 5 a.m. or something. I check my bank account. It's one of the first things I do. And I see that there is some extra money. And I'm like, oh, shit. I just got my bonus. Okay. You know, at the end of the year, it was part of my contract that I might get a bonus depending on my performance. So my performance was fucking on point. And I'm like, man, I cannot wait to have my bonus. Yeah. I got my TV. Life is great. We're working from home still, but I decided to like dress awesome, put my makeup, wait for my TV. <laughs> Usually on Fridays, I have a meeting at 2 p.m. And I see that this meeting changed to 10 a.m., okay. you know, in the morning. I'm like, oh, okay, great. The TV, it's arriving at 11, so I can wrap the meeting and get my TV set up. No problem. I'm having the meeting, and then they knock. The TV is here. So the guys just came a little bit earlier. No problem. Life is good. They start with the installation, and I'm having my meeting. When I start the meeting, I see that there's my supervisor and the HR guy. And it's like, whoa, shit, HR guy's in the meeting. Why is the HR guy here? Like, yeah. did I do something? Yeah. Did I offend someone? <laughs> I don't know. Let's see. Yeah. A little bit of scolding. It doesn't matter. Life is great. I got my new TV. The meeting starts. My supervisor immediately, blah, 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 blah. We're letting you go. I'm like, wow. Cold. Wow. Sorry, can I add? Can I add? I'm literally waving my hands to the TV guys directing them where to go to install the TV. And I just see Vanessa's face frozen and she's looking in my direction. I'm wearing a mask. I'm wearing a mask because the guys from the TV are here. Oh my God. How did you react? You know, it's weird because like you had all this thought of how would you react in a situation like that and all the sentences that you will say and all the hate that you will spit and like all the blame that you will share. Of course, you have all this thought <laughs> right. that how will you react? But then when the moment comes, I'm speechless because I really, I was not expecting this. Like, 
I don't even remember what I said, but it's something like "thanks for the journey" type of shit. Wow, like, oh my God, yeah, I, 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 I don't. Even, I promise you, I like, I don't remember. I got into this meeting, and then I'm just left with the HR guy, who's you know, he's he's walking me through my exit papers, and I right. kid you know, I mute the call. The HR guy is like talking, 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 and he's completely muted. I look at Manal, the guys are in silent TV, and I'm like, hey, I just lost my job. And like the guys who are silent TV, they're like, what? So you don't want the TV? The four of us were like, yeah. man, what just happened? <laughs> but I don't know. It was hilarious. I think like looking back at the moment, I was just fucking pissed, fucking angry. You know, I wanted to cry. Like this is one of the downfalls of working from home. You get fired in front of your whole family and a couple of strangers installing your fucking I TV. It's like, okay, working from home. But now I go to experience getting fired from home. <laughs> the guys, like I failed. Yeah. They failed for me. Yeah. They were like, oh, oh okay. Oh. Maybe I'm just stripping. It. Okay, so yeah. I got let go. That was Jan. That was only Jan, guys. Damn, girl. <laughs> and 2021 just started and we're all like okay clean slate new fucking tv you're fired <laughs> i like literally did i had like all my plans you know how you have like all like your vision board and you're like it's a new year yeah i got this new set of goals and i know exactly what to wear what to say i got the perfect pitch guys i'm fucking ready life knocks you're at fired. your door hey <laughs> Actually, that's not your bonus, bitch. That's your severance package. Oh you're fired. My God. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine you're walking the whole morning thinking that's your bonus, dude. I was like, I got a bonus. Hawaii, here I come. Maui, wait for me. <laughs> no fucking Maui for this bitch, man. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Barely Big Bear. <laughs> it's September now. And I look back at that event at the beginning of the year and I'm fucking grateful that that happened when it happened, yeah. right. you know? That kind of shaped the rest of my year right. because when I got my severin package, I used that dirty money <laughs> yeah. to create my own LLC. Absolutely, girl, <laughs> yes. What about like the rest of the year for you guys? For me personally, I think that it's been like a reset. The past seven years for me have been constantly hustling nonstop. Like I've always worked hard. And I've always, you know, made the best of every opportunity, but I think I've never really had an opportunity to just stay at home and spend time with my family and like take care of a dog, <laughs> like meditate yeah. or pray. Like, I feel like I've slowed down yeah. a lot, you know, and I think that it's just, it's been a reset for me really in like a very big way because I didn't realize how challenged I was like mentally and physically and emotionally I was yeah. holding all this tension and of like the past seven years I think Los Angeles is a wonderful place to be and there's so much opportunity but at the same time I was constantly anxious and I think that like me coming home was the universe's way of saying take a deep massive breath and work on your inner being a little because now I feel I'm a lot more like slow <laughs> and a lot more introspective than I was ever before in my life and I care more about what's happening in our world instead of just caring about what's happening in my world, which I think was always like, oh, yeah, what's happening in my world, my auditions, my this, my that. You know, now I care more about what's happening in other countries, what's happening in my own country. Something outside of you. Yeah. Yeah. And how I can make a difference in other people's lives. You know, it was always about like booking a job for me. It was always about becoming the best actress I can be. But how can you become the best actress if you're not the best version of a human being? Yeah. Amen, sister. So for me, it has been a very introspective journey. <laughs> and it was needed, right? You you reach that point that, oh my God, like I'm so burned out, but I'm so young. 
Yeah, why? Like, what just happened? I, I so many issues. Like, when I was in LA, I was constantly having diarrhea. Constantly. <laughs> I was so anxious all the time that I was like, I would like poop like a thousand times yeah. in the morning. You know what I mean? Like, I was constantly like. No, maybe it's because you were only drinking chicken broth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that was there was so much pressure in my life to like look a certain way, you know what I mean? But I was doing all the things wrong. Like if you don't fix everything inside, you won't be able to perform. Okay, all right. Okay, guys. So right now we are working as writer, producers, directors, actors, but I want to backtrack a little bit and talk about the previous jobs that we had. Do you have any stories about odd jobs or do you remember your very first job? I had a very odd job when I just moved to Los Angeles, even though I had actually a day job. I also used to do this one thing on the weekends where I would sit in the front row of a game show and they would pay me to be a pretty girl who applauds. It was actually literally called Pretty Audience Member. <laughs> I was one of 10 girls who would basically sit in the front row of a show like you know, America's Got Talent or The Voice and we would applaud for six hours straight. Oh my God. And we would get $60 at the end of our shift. Oh my God. I did that so religiously because I take every job I do very seriously as an immigrant that I would clap the life out of me (laughs) (laughs) for six hours you were like for six hours and then $60 $10 an hour yes and actually I took those $60 and I went straight to Trader Joe's and I would buy the best organic food and I would (laughs) yeah treat myself to a good lunch because I earned it And I will say that I was very lucky this one time. I was an audience member, again, in the front row for Lip Sync Battle. And I was clapping and all of that. And I saw Channing Tatum perform. And just like that, guys, (sighs) someone walked out of the door and it was none other than Beyonce. No, my God. And I was like, oh, my God. So I'm actually getting paid to watch (laughs) Beyonce perform. And I'm right in the front. And I was so, like, starstruck and so happy that moment wow. that I actually made it to the final cut like the camera actually panned to me they were like this is what we need so yeah I made it for like one millisecond on TV and everyone was like wow we saw that very cheerful face of yours Wait, how do I not know this story I watched that episode so many times we gotta find that clip right now yo that was epic I was so happy I'll never forget that day Um, Manal, do you have any stories about odd jobs? To be honest, I never held an odd job. I usually have respectable uh, (laughs) high-level jobs. I think I was 18 or 19 in Dubai. I had a job for a couple of months as a nightclub photographer. And that was a fucking pain in the ass, man. I wouldn't recommend that to anyone. I got harassed. Like, people sweat on you. They grab your camera. They were like, show me. Can you show me now? Can you show? And everyone's drunk. Man, that is a nightmare. Like, I went to a lot of nightclubs during my teens and my 20s. Oh, God, that was disgusting. But I will always see the photographer in the nightclub and be like, oh, my God, like, why is he here? Like, (laughs) he's the only person who is not drunk or high or anything. Like, why are you here? And I will go close to them and be like, can you take a picture? Can you take another one? Can you, like, email me that? Exactly. Can you email me that? I'm like, bitch, you're hardly able to pronounce your name. You're going to write your email address right now. Like, I don't have time for this. But you also, Manal, you also had a job at one 
one of my favorite shows when I was a teen. Here we go. That is called Mate. I want to be mate. <laughs> What was her job? Oh my gosh, she was one of the participants. It's an MTV show where you like say what's your goal. Like you want to be a filmmaker and they help you make a film. I will always watch that from my city. And then Manal was there. Aww. Yeah, but it was... On MTV Arabia. Yeah, it wasn't for the MTV that we know, you know, that we grew up watching. It was for MTV Arabia. But still. The Middle Eastern version of MTV. And it had opened super new in, in the Middle East. And they had an office in Dubai. Yeah. And so I... I got it as someone wanting to be a filmmaker. So what film was it? I don't know, man. The film made no sense. It was just like a moody <laughs> musical piece about this female poet. It was that period where I had like a mohawk and I was like this cool rock oh and roll God. chick. I need to see this picture. You had a <laughs> mohawk. I had a pretty like progressive look for the Middle East back then. <laughs> so they were all like, oh, who's this American chick? And they're like, oh, no, she's Arab. Oh, yeah, she's probably a lesbian. You what? Know? And they were right. <laughs> But my first job out of college in Dubai was at a design agency, specifically branding agency. My first job actually was at university. I was a shooter girl. A shooter girl meaning I used to pour shots for people at a bar when they were getting drunk. I would be walking around and be like, woo! Coyote ugly. Uh, an escort? No, no, not <laughs> no. an escort. More like a saleswoman, but for <laughs> alcohol. More like a hoe? <laughs> no, Manal. More like a skank. <laughs> okay. And basically, I would be selling tequila shots, like actually have them on me. This tray that was hanging off of my shoulders. And there were these bottles and like these shooter glasses. And I would walk around and be like, <laughs> hey, guys, do you want a shot? <laughs> so the shot was like 20 rand, but I would charge like 50 rand. Oh, my. Because I would take the rest as tip. So, you know, even at that age, I was like, if you're going to do this and be amongst like drunk people, you might as well make some money off of it. So what, you didn't have a salary? Like you were there for free and you have to like find a way to pay yourself? Yeah, basically you're only making money wow. from tips. But I made a lot in tips. So I was a shooter girl at a bar. I had so many odd jobs, like I don't even know where to start. Let's see, probably with my mom, because my mom, she owned a photo studio for like 30 years. So I basically grew up there smelling chemicals. <laughs> That's literally where I grew up. Like I would go there with her. So I, I guess like that was literally one of my first jobs. Being there, asking people what do they want, if they want to take the picture, charging them, giving them change. And then with my hustler mind, since a little kid, I will go where the people take the picture at the photo studio and I will sell them pens. <laughs> so they will take in the picture and I will be there selling them pens and like literally make that money for myself and not oh. give my mom a cut. I would have bought all your pens. <laughs> I saw that the business was working and then I hired my cousins and then they were selling pens for me. And now you own a company. <laughs> Now you are a CEO. Or CFO, I don't know, or COO. We haven't talked about C's yet. <laughs> But anyway, I was with my mom one day driving and we hear on the radio that there's like a reality show going on and they're looking for radio hosts if people want to participate. And my mom say like, do you want to go? And I'm like, sure, let's go. We went to this radio station and I signed up for like this reality show of trying to be tennis hosts in the radio station. And they're like training you. It's like a fellowship. But it's also like a reality show because every week one person gets eliminated. Oh, interesting. <laughs> it's like the survivor of the survivors of the radio station. Yeah. 
So I was doing that while in college and I made it to like the last four people. And I was so pissed that I was let go. I was like, no way, guys, come on. Let me make it to the final. I do deserve to have a show for myself, you know? I was so cocky back then. I'm still cocky right now. (laughs) You have one now, girl. You have one now. I got the adrenaline of like having a mic and speaking to people. And I really like developed an interest for radio. So we started looking around the radio stations. Who was needing like a host or somebody to help the host create a segment? That's amazing. Yeah, my mom was taking me to different radio stations. And like I was dropping my resume and like she was there like waiting for me, you know, like my bodyguard. And she was like (laughs) just there helping me to get my next gig because she saw like how passionate I got after that reality show. That's so sweet. Finally, we found like a little radio station that say, yeah, sure, let's give this lady a show. And I started to develop my own show. I spent there one year and then I moved to Los Angeles. What did you sound like on your radio show? Hola, ¿qué tal? My name... Tengo que cambiar al español. Déjame rebobinar. It was all in Spanish, right? Todo en español. Hola, bienvenidos a Actívate con Vanessa Pérez. Hoy vamos a hablar sobre las celebridades, la música, las noticias y lo que está pasando en el país. Something like oh, this. That is beautiful. That's crazy. You know how long and how hard people have to work here to have their own show on a radio station? Yeah, exactly. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that hustle in our beginning stages because it's so pure and relentless. It's like you went from like door to door because you didn't think you knew that someone would say yes. We often forget we're quick to give up. That was one of my jobs. I know that you sure you're like a journalist. You did like some broadcasting. So right out of college, I landed a job as a breakfast news producer. And I was literally doing everything because in the third world countries, when you are a producer, you're also the cleaner. You also make coffees for all of the guests in the morning. And you also run the entire show. You write stories for, you know, the anchor. Wow. <laughs> it was a lot of work. And my monthly pay in U.S. dollars would be 100 hundred dollars a month. <gasps> oh my yeah. God. And I did everything. Like I was the first one at that studio at like four in the morning. And that is when I realized that nothing was going to come easy in this life. And I was going mm-hmm. to have to hustle and work insanely hard for everything. And I think it also prepared me for the toughest chapter of my life, which was living in LA and moving to LA. Absolutely. After going door to door there for radio stations mm-hmm. and coming here and studying acting, I was again going door to door for auditions and like yeah. gigs and like, yeah. hey guys, I'm here. And And I was just fresh coming from Venezuela. I had even a thicker accent and I wanted to act, you know, I wanted like to be in TV and radio, even though like my English was a little bit broken. I was like so excited and like going to all types of auditions. I will even find Ayushi in some of the auditions and we'll be like, hey girl, why are you here? Yeah, (laughs) Why are you here auditioning for this vampire role? Are you good? (laughs) And we're like, yeah, we gotta do something. Oh, I remember that. Then going door to door for auditions here learning how to shoot a video and edit a video and getting an internship at a super popular media company that basically trained me. It was so intense, this fellowship and internship. I was working so hard and tried to keep with the pace and try to create Mm. viral videos and learning how to shoot and dealing with all these different personalities. But I was so grateful for it because it trained me for what came next, landing production gigs and now having a production company. So it's been a roller coaster to find 
your place, your voice and getting work out of it, you know, getting paid out of it, because it doesn't matter that you already found your voice, you have a talent for something, but now you need to get paid for it. So it's like a constant hustle. Yeah, especially as an immigrant, because it's already so difficult. You're traveling to a country where you were still trying to master the language and you're trying to settle and find work and build your career. We come here with zero connections. Yeah, I didn't, I have no family here. Yeah. yeah, nothing, nothing. Like there's no one that can put your name anywhere. You just got to yeah. start from scratch and from nothing. Literally started from the bottom. <laughs> and I'm talking about ourselves, considering that we did receive a good education. We did have the means to come here and all that. And still, it's a fucking hustle. Of mm -hmm. course. We don't know anybody. The English is not a first language. The culture is different, you know. So you might say something that is so okay in your culture. But here it's like... Girl, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Absolutely. You have to get yourself educated by constant interaction of the people from the country. And then you're like, okay, I'm learning. And also you are teaching because there's so many things that they also don't know. And then we are both making a meaningful engagement, teaching each other and learning from each other. And that's what I love about being here. That's what I love about the United States of America. Yep. Okay, my very last question is, how much are you comfortable with sharing online? Obviously, you know, we create content. <laughs> Manali's already for her answer. We create content and we're artists, so we, we, we are vulnerable and we want to express our opinions, you know, we want to express our feelings. But to what extent? I don't feel comfortable sharing anything online. I don't even want to be part of this podcast. She forced me. <laughs> oh, right. Her marriage was on the lights and she was like, okay. <laughs> Fine. I'm joking, guys. No, I also don't. Because let me just tell you, I'm brown. I'm a woman. I'm an actress. I'm an immigrant. The odds are against me. Everything is against me. For me to say anything, I have to be a thousand times. Like, I have to think about it like a thousand times before I open my mouth. And even when I do and, you know, if I get carried away, I have to really like, yeah, ask the person to edit it out. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Bitch, stop making me edit shit out. <laughs> yeah, because I think that many times when I get angry and I forget that I'm a woman, I'm brown, I'm, you know, an immigrant and I'm an actress. So those are things that now I have to like really think about before I open my mouth. You know, I do have to like censor myself, but I do share a lot still. A lot, I think. I'm not comfortable, but even though I'm not comfortable, I believe I've already overshared. So it's just we're, in, we're internet kids. I don't know. How are we not going to have our lives on the web to some degree? You know what I'm saying? Like I've I've had my life online since Facebook started. What is that? More than 10 years? Totally. Mm. Yeah. But what are you going to do? We grew up on the internet. <laughs> And you, Bobby, how, do you feel comfortable? <laughs> no, I, I am so uncomfortable. I am so uncomfortable to share things online. And yet I am one of the persons that pushes for us to share things online. Yeah, exactly. Like, the irony of it, you know, as an artist, I feel like I need to share shit. I need to share my opinion and where I stand with my feelings. And react on the feedback as well, you know? Like, I'm very adamant with sharing my drafts and my early work. Yeah. And I know it's shit. I look at it and I'm like, oh, I don't like the way I wrote it and all of that, but I don't care. But I have to put it out and to see know. how it lands. And... That's how I know you're a true artist. But at the same time, I'm like, why am I sharing so much? You know, <laughs> at one point, yeah. can this be used against me, my, my own self? Probably, but I'm not that person that I once was. The person who wrote that or created that work, it was then and there. You know, it's not like who I am right now and who I am right now, it will change tomorrow because I'm this type of person. Like I'm always changing or not only with my work, but also with the way that I internalize stuff that's always changing. So but cancel culture doesn't care about that. 
cancel culture doesn't yeah. care that you used to be somebody and now you're a more evolved somebody. Yeah, but that's why this cancel culture needs to be canceled because <laughs> human beings are constantly evolving. Who yeah. we were yesterday is not who we are today. Even just overnight, someone could open your eyes to something that you probably didn't think of before. Absolutely. You know, and you could be like, wow, okay, well, yeah, I didn't think about that. Well, I changed yeah. my opinion on that. You know, we were changing like every second, second to second. So this whole cancel culture is bullshit. Yeah. So bullshit. people need to take responsibility and others need to claim for accountability, but not cancel. You don't cancel someone. Yeah. No, you don't cancel people. No. It's like, that's why you have all these different systems that would deal with them accordingly, you know? But I think it also takes us to the point of like, you know, the question that you asked, which is like, who the F are we? I think that again, like we'll never know, right? Who exactly it is. Like we it will never be able to pinpoint that because we're changing every day. But one thing we can say is that we can really commend ourselves for how far we've come, which is something that I don't think either one of us do enough. Oh, I was in a job interview and like they asked me, who do you hope to be five years from now? And like <laughs> that question for me was so obsolete, you know, because I wasn't <laughs> expecting to survive a fucking pandemic. Yeah. Thank God we're still doing it you know I don't know how but thank god I, I don't know where are we going to be in five years from now ten years from now do you guys like have an idea where you're going to be I hope that my production company is thriving yeah girl <laughs> writing and selling shows left and right Lena Wade here we come uh, I want to be oh, wait what did you say I want to be Maui Maui <laughs> Maui Maui man Maui 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 I was supposed to be Maui somewhere this year man but you know those obsolete questions that you're you brought up I think these are really they're obsolete questions now especially after the pandemic it's mm -hmm. it's helped us recalibrate how we how we handle time like mm -hmm. really we don't know what the fuck is happening in 30 days we might all die from a from a tsunami oh god god forbid did you guys learn anything from this pandemic at all like of course. did anything change i mean maybe a yeah. lot of things maybe none of those things but if there is one thing that you can remember what would that be oh the end of office life god bless god <laughs> bless yes yes useless meetings <laughs> interruptions politics racist encounters <laughs> they're all avoided <laughs> All eliminated. <laughs> Nobody interrupting my creative workflow anymore. But yeah. me. Okay. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, for me, the only thing that like really stood out, like so many things stood out, but like I think um, the more, the importance of like just lying on the grass and looking at the sky and like just, you know, those <laughs> yeah. like, those little like simple moments of like spending time with like your best friend or spending time with your dog. Like, I don't think I like ever did that, you know, before. Absolutely. I, I, I did a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> looking at the, like being on the grass, looking at the sky, asking God, why God? God, why? 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 And God, really, he told me, why not, bitch? <laughs> Yeah, let's not let another pandemic remind us to look at the sky and sit on the grass yeah. and, and hug our loved ones. So, For this segment, we're going to donate to this organization called Not Us Without You, which they're in charge of providing food for undocumented immigrants here in Los Angeles. One of the organizers is one of my friends, and he started this with his friends, feeding only one family per week. And now they're feeding over 1,600 families wow. per week. 
Nice. You know, they step up during the pandemic. They saw all the undocumented back of the house workers mm -hmm. from restaurants, like having no benefits from the government, not qualifying for any type of relief, any type of like help. And they're the reason we're still eating and getting food delivered. A lot of undocumented immigrants just kept the country running yeah. and they were part of the essential workers. And yet they had no, no, protection. no protection, no any type of relief. And these guys step up with the organization. They started feeding one family and now they're feeding over like a thousand families per week. And I was there volunteering and seeing this grow. It was just amazing to see how people step out during the pandemic. So today we're donating a hundred dollars to the organization. Thank you, No Us Without You. D-I-T-T. D-I-T-T. Dead. D-I-T-T. Dead.